Welcome back to this Someone to Tell To podcast. We are always so grateful that you tuned in to hear more of our stories and our own journeys and the stories and lives of others we've connected with along the way, especially in the midst of this global pandemic. Today's episode with our dear friend Krista has it all. It has joy and sorrow and fear and vulnerability and loss and meaning and so much more. Because everyone is the someone and someone to tell it to, it's not just about us. We've never been about one-way relationships. We always hope to establish a mutual relationship between friends who are sharing life's journey together. Thanks for tuning in. Please hit the subscribe button, give us a review, share this episode with others, and do enjoy. Our guest today is Krista Jakubik, who lives in South Central Pennsylvania. She is a singer, an author, and a teacher. More than anything, she loves her family. We have known her for more than six years and consider her a special friend. And we can tell you that she has a powerful story to tell. We're going to talk with Krista about her story today, and we hope you'll find it to be powerful too. Krista, we welcome you to the Someone to Tell To podcast. Thank you. It's good to be here with you guys. Let's start with the uh, reason that we met you. <laughs> Can you tell us, would you tell us uh, and our audience how you were introduced to us and why you came to us at Someone to Tell It To? Um, in July of 2011, I was diagnosed with neuroendocrine tumors all throughout my abdomen, mostly in my tail of my pancreas. <clears throat> and because of that, I had surgery removal, but the doctor's kept monitoring me to see if anything came back. But before each MRI or CAT scan that I had, uh, I started to freak out, literally. I would just panic. <clears throat> and my doctor said, you need to talk to somebody about this and just calm yourself down and know that everything will be all right. So she handed me your business card. And I looked at it and thought, yeah, okay. Stuck it in my pocket and I went home. And got it out, and I looked at it, looked at my phone, looked at the card, and, then, and I thought, oh, I'm going to email instead. So I did, and that's how we got connected. Would you tell us you know, some more about your background, about your journey, and what happened, you know, and how, those, how that first meeting came about, you know, how that went, and, and what came from there? as well. So all, all those things that you told us, as much as you'd like to share um, when we first met. Sure. Um, we met at the Cocoa Beanery. I had no idea what it was or where it was. And uh, I had no idea what you guys look like. So, you know, it was kind of a little awkward at the beginning. But once we sat down and started talking, it was like we've known each other forever. I mean, I was that comfortable. And I'm never like that with most people. And uh, you guys were awesome, and you were smiling, and you let me talk and talk and talk and talk. And um, I, I just thought that was, it, it just it moved me because I thought, wow, there's somebody here that really is listening to me and not just, you know, pretending to. It was great. As we were spending some time in preparation for this interview, I found just some statistics 
uh, about pancreatic cancer, and I'm sure you've heard them. You know, pancreatic cancer has the highest mortality rate of all major cancers. And for all stages combined, 91% of pancreatic cancer patients die within five years. When you hear statistics like that, uh, what does it evoke in you? It literally makes me sick to my stomach, nauseous, panicked. Um, but I, there are two kinds of pancreatic cancer. <clears throat> uh, the one that is the one you just mentioned, but the one I had was different. Um, mine was neuroendocrine tumors, and they were self-encapsulated. So for me, treatment was removal. I needed no chemo, no radiation, no nothing. So they literally went in, opened me up completely from horn to hoof, and took out the tail of my pancreas with a baseball-sized tumor in there. How it was in there, and I don't know. I have no clue. And a piece of my liver, my spleen, and the tumors that were throughout my abdominal area. And then they stitched me back up, and I woke up with 38 staples and went, oh, my gosh. <laughs> so... Um, but they said they got it all, and it was slow growing. So I was, I was glad to hear that. It's not that other kind. But, yeah, that other kind's a quick one, or I wouldn't be here right now. Yeah, well, we're, we're grateful for that. We're very grateful. Me, me too. <laughs> me too, yeah. Well, what in these last, since you know, 2011, so nearly nine years uh, that since you were first diagnosed, how has that cancer journey evolved and maybe changed? Or how have you, how's it been? Well, it's, it's definitely not something I would have chosen, of course. But I had and still have cancer. I mean, it's come back. The tumors have grown back. Um, they probably were there all along. They were just not able to be seen. Um, <clears throat> and the, the original way it started was the doctor that gave me your card sent me for a CAT scan because I was having abdominal discomfort. And she wanted to rule out irritable bowel and appendicitis and blah, blah, blah. And um, so I had the CAT scan done. And she calls me that same night. <clears throat> and she says, well, the good news is the CAT scan shows that you don't have appendicitis or irritable bowel. But it does show that you have a tumor in the tail of your pancreas. And I thought, oh, okay. She didn't say she she mentioned nothing of cancer, nothing at all. That was all I was told. And the next thing I know, I was sitting in the oncology waiting room, and I, I literally truly had no idea why I was there. And my daughter went with me, and we're sitting there. And the doctor, we went back to the to the room, and the doctor looked me square in the eye, and he said, "You have pancreatic cancer." Well, you can imagine my reaction. I was like. You know how they say your, your life passes before your eyes? And mine literally did that. It was just the weirdest feeling. And, of course, I started to cry. My daughter was like, it's okay, Mom, it's okay, Mom. And the doctor said to me, why are you crying? Why are you upset? And I said, my, my daughter went, you have to ask her that? You just gave her a death sentence, and you're asking her why she's crying. So I, I told the doctor he needed to leave the room. And then another doctor came in, and, I, and he put his arm on, hand on my shoulder, and he said, 
Krista, it'll be all right. The kind of cancer you have is removable. That treatment is removable and um, we'll take good care of you. That was on a Friday. The following Tuesday, I was in the hospital going in for surgery. Wow. That, that time frame is just uh, incredible. Uh, was that scary? Is that, I mean, the fact that it was so fast, did that, did that worry you? No, no. I said to them, I said, if you, I looked at them, I said, if you don't do it like now, I'll check it out. Uh, I know it's, it, and I, and I said, and says, well, we'll get you in Tuesday. So, okay, that's fine. I stayed a week in the hospital and it was a week of something that I care not to repeat. Um, it was awful. It was just awful. I couldn't move. Um, I woke up with tubes coming out of me everywhere, having no idea what was what. And uh, <clears throat> it was just, it was scary. It was painful. And I kept saying to the doctors, are you sure you got it all? Are you sure you got it all? And they said, yes, we don't see anything more in there. And they literally took a ultrasound probe and went through my abdomen to, to look for any more. And they said they, that I have none. And then, uh, but the whole time, the whole time I was in denial, like this is, <laughs> this isn't happening to me. That happens to other people. You know, I, I'm not, I don't have cancer. And, but I had a wake up call and it's like, oh my gosh, I real I just came out of surgery and I've got this big, you know, incision here. And it, it was very real at that moment. Yeah. It was scary. You had talked just a moment ago about your daughter and her being there. And we know, as we mentioned in the introduction of how vital a role your, your family has played. Could you tell us a little bit about your three kids and, and what it was like for them growing up and, and what just what, what your life was like as a mom? How much time do you have? No, I'm just kidding. Um, Yeah. Take whatever you need. My kids are like, the best thing ever. Um, and they know it. They know we have a bond that some parents don't have the privilege of having. And I, I just feel so blessed to have the three kids that I have. Um, my husband, their dad <clears throat> took his own life in January of 98. And that left me with three little kids, ages three, five, and seven. And, um, I was, I was at a loss. It's like, what do you do? I mean, you, you do, what do I do? And so <clears throat> I just did what I had to do. It's like the mom dad thing kicked in and, and I did what I needed to do. And I think that's the title of my thing in your book. It says I did what I had to do. And I did. And you just do it because your kids are counting on you. And, uh, I, for the first six months after their dad died, we literally camped out on the living room floor sleeping because my kids were afraid to leave me for fear that I would go too. And I, how do you explain to a three-year-old that your daddy just, you know, did what he did? So I said, no, I'm here. I'm fine. We're good. We played the movie Grease with John Travolta, and we literally went through two, back then, VHS tapes because we played it so often and it grease and their songs and their fun and got us through that first couple months. Um, it was, it was very 
it was scary. And, uh, <clears throat> but we made it, we made it through. And now my kids are grown. They're 26, 28, and just turned 31. So I, I don't know, the time just went whoosh, and there they are. Now they're grown up and two of them are out of the house. And, but the bond that I have with them is still so very close. Um, and I wouldn't trade it for anything, anything in the world. And yeah, it just, it was awesome. We would go, when they were little, we'd go on day trips. We'd have game nights, um, pizza movie nights. And guess what movie we watched? I'll give you three guesses. The first two don't count. And then, um, <clears throat> yeah, it was Greece all the time. Greece all, all the time. And um, my youngest one, who was three, used to play checkers with his dad. And he, their dad was a good carpenter. And he built uh, a checkerboard into a stairway landing. So you could sit on the steps and play with play checkers on the floor. And uh, we, we literally went through two checkerboard games, too, because my youngest wanted to play and play and play. And we lost pieces. We got a new game. We lost more pieces, got a new game. I mean, it was it was very trying for all of us. But I sent them back to school the very next day and said, you have to go. And here's what here's what we're going to do. And they panicked because they said, will you be here when we get home? And I said, oh, yes, I will. And that was enough for them. They went, they did it. And like I said, now they're grown and we still have that bond that, like I said, a lot of parents don't have with their kids. I'm one of those parents that would, if I could have my kids live with me the rest of their lives or my life in my house. I, when they moved out, I was like, oh, you know, but I know they have to move on, but I would have loved them to stay home. But I still have... I did. Oh, they know that. They know that. And the young, the oldest one lives in Pittsburgh now. And he says, I know you want me to move back home, mom, but there's no jobs over there. He goes, if you can find me a job, I'll move back. So needless to say, I've been looking, but um, he likes it where he's at and they're doing well. And that's all that I can ask for. And uh, so, yes, we still see each other a lot. And, uh, my daughter I see quite a bit. However, right now she's deployed. She's in the Air Force, and so is my oldest. And uh, she's been gone three and a half months, and we have two and a half to go. And uh, that's been very difficult with everything with what I'm going through right now. You're, you're, you're very fortunate in, in the fact that your bond with your children is so close. Uh, considering everything that you've been through, that you've all been through as a family, both with their father's their father's death and at, at such a young age, and then you being a single mom, and and then this, this health crisis that, that that you've gone through. Um, sometimes that, as as you know, uh, can break families apart and cause resentments, and you know, and just problems that uh, that are really hard to overcome. And the fact that you have been able to create and maintain this bond with your children and even now as they're as they're adults uh is is really incredible and commendable and you know you, you've obviously done something special when they come home well my daughter lives in hummels town so she's right near me i babysit her son 
uh, he's another love of my life. You know, you have kids, but you never think you could love anybody more than your own children. And then the grandchildren come along and, oh my golly, it's, it's great. But um, <clears throat> when they're home, we have just the wildest, craziest, goofiest times together. Christmas is always hysterical. We all had shirts this year that said, had Buddy the Elf on them and, and it said, oh my gosh, Santa, I know him, you know, on the shirt. And we just had a ball. I mean, we just, we are so weird. And uh, my kids are so awesome that we just, you know, just let it out, let it happen. And uh, one of the special things I give them every Christmas in their stocking is I make up little coupons and it's, it's for mom day out. And a mom day is just me and one of them. And they pick whatever they want to do, and I pay for it, <laughs> but they pick whatever they want to do. We can go out to eat, we can go see a movie, but we want to make it something that we, I tell, try to tell them not to go see a movie because then we can't talk. So we do stuff where we can interact with each other, and the, another re rule of thumb with that is the cell phones are put away during our mom time. And it, it's just they look forward to those. And the coupons never expire. So I told them whenever they want one a day, just to let me know. So that's fun. Even my 31-year-old son does it. So, but he pays. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's, that, yeah, since he has a job now, I said, you can pay now. He just it's about time I said, no, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not kidding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, my, my kids are everything to me, absolutely everything. And I, uh, I can't imagine a day without one of them. So, yeah, we made it. You had mentioned earlier this mantra that you've used with us previously, and we, in fact, did write about it in our first book, Some of the Telty Sharing Life's Journey, when we shared your story, as you shared your story. And we've thought about just this word perseverance, and people have defined perseverance as doing something despite difficulty or delay in achieving success. Uh, I know an author and an artist once said something about courage. He said, courage doesn't always roar. Sometimes courage is the quiet voice at the end of the day saying, I will try again tomorrow. And as you, you think about that, you've probably had many bad days along the way. Uh, what have you done to kind of overcome those, those, those difficult days with, with you and your kids? I, they know when I'm having a bad day because I don't, I'm not singing or I'm not saying anything. And they know when mom is quiet that something's wrong. So they and they know to let me alone because they know I need time just to sit, chill, get it through my head, and then I'm back to my quote unquote normal self. Um, but that what they'll do during that time of me being quiet is all they'll do is hug me, and that's that's all I need. Just that little reassurance from them. And uh, <clears throat> I just, I have to keep on moving. If I didn't, I'd, at this point in my life, I'd probably crawl under a rock and stay there. Um, because last, this past April, I was diagnosed, re-diagnosed with the same tumor. It had come back. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. 
and it was it's the size of a, a nickel and uh, I thought that's just two centimeters too big for me I don't care so they started me on you know a new treatment and well that's been a, in and of itself a story well in June the doctor I, just, I opted well I had really no choice I couldn't get surgically removed this time because the tumor was right next to my aortic vein in my abdomen. So surgery was not an option because I could have died on the table. So they said no. So they started this series of shots. Um, I'd get one every four weeks. And uh, side effects were nausea, diarrhea, fatigue, and, uh, you know, the list goes on. And I'm like, oh, great. So <clears throat> I, it, it, it was fine for the first two weeks after I got the first shot. And then the nausea started setting in. And oh, my gosh, it was worse than morning sickness. And it, it lasted constantly. And I, I couldn't eat. I didn't want to eat. And the only thing I did eat when I ate was Rice Krispies. That because it was bland and it did, it's actually set well in my stomach. Um, and the shots, uh, we went through the summer with those. I had a CAT scan, actually a PET scan, in September, and the doctor said it's, it had, the shots had done nothing to take away that tumor. So they got a little bit more aggressive with their treatment, which is what I'm going through now. And uh, I panicked because... Well, <laughs> Go back a second to the to the first time I got the shot. They said you're going to get this shot, and it's going to be in your backside. It's like, oh great, and and it sounded like it was going to be huge, like this this syringe. And all I kept thinking was the hypodermic needle from Bugs Bunny. You know how they like, you know, it's like wah, they come after you with this big thing, and I, and I'm like, oh my gosh, so I'm panicking, and then. The, the nurse said my, my daughter went with me to every appointment until she was deployed. And the nurse says um, to me, okay, Krista, bend over and hold on to the chair. And I went, what? Hold on to, why? And I'm looking my, at my daughter's face. She goes, it's okay, mom. It's okay. It's all right. And I said, why am I? And she goes, because it will take this, the, the stress off of the, the side that we're giving you the shot. And I thought, oh, okay. And I turned around, and I looked at the syringe, and it was like this little dinky thing. You know, I'm like, really? But it hurt, uh, and it stung, and it burned, and I couldn't sleep on that side for, you know, four to five days. That, that's kind of the way it goes with those. But um, <clears throat> so, yeah, after the first one, then I knew what to expect, but that was scary. So because they weren't working... Oh, oh, that's it. They're, they're cheap. Um, actually, they're only $22,000 a shot, So, um, which, which I just about fell off my chair. You know, you get this paper this uh, paper in the mail that says this is not a bill, and it lists the itemized things, and it was like, oh, my gosh, $22,000, and I had four of them, so that was nearly $100,000 through the summer. And luckily, my insurance is really good insurance and covered all of it. And the hospital, you know, took care of the rest of it. 
Thank goodness. <clears throat> um, I did. <laughs> uh, my my uh, Facebook page blog is called the $22,000 diet and when I first put it out there people were like Haha, yeah that's cute that's funny and they said I had lots of private messages saying oh my gosh is it that expensive but does it work and I, <laughs> I said it's not what you think. So, so from after I got so many messages and so many people saying, what are you talking about? I put on, and I pinned it to the top of my page. Here is what it means. And here is what it actually is. The reason it's called a diet is because I can't eat. And I lost 50 pounds from June through September. Um, it was like, I, I couldn't eat at all. Um, and the 22000 part, of course, is how much it costs. So um, for me, that's, that's uh, the price you pay to stay alive. And I, I said to the doctor, so how often do I get these shots? And he said, every four weeks. And I said, for how long? And he said, until you come to the end of your days. I said, you mean literally the rest of my life? And he said, yes. And I thought, oh, golly. You know, I just thought, wow, really, it's not going to take it away. It's just going to be this way every four weeks till whenever. Um, so <clears throat> I've had a lot of positive reaction to my page. And I have a lot of people that have come on the page and liked it that I don't even know. And my purpose for putting it on there is to document my feelings, what I'm feeling, how I'm feeling, what I'm going through how it feels, does it hurt, yeah, you know, what my mind is thinking, and I'm hoping through what I'm posting on there, somebody else can relate to, and maybe it will help them, it's my way of, you know, although, and I put it on there, I said, there's good, there's bad, and there's ugly, and the ugly gets really ugly, if you choose not to read it, it's okay, but here's what's happened today, and um, I've just put myself out there, on the line and so many have come to me and said um, we really appreciate the fact that you are being so vulnerable and letting yourself tell your story and I said you know I said it is what it is it truly is I can't do anything about it it's in me it's there but like if I can help somebody else that has cancer of my, like mine or cancer at all to know that hopefully you know there is a there is hope there is a light at the end of the tunnel and i i truly hope so for myself um if not it you know it is to be what it is but if i can help someone else by going you know doing what i'm doing and uh, telling my story i i hope it does and i get a lot of positive response We'd like to take just a moment to thank our premier sponsor for the Someone to Tell It To podcast, the Wonders Found Thrift Shop in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. We are so grateful for their support, for their advocacy, for these messages that we share with you today and every day. So thank you.
We also want to encourage you, if you are interested in helping to support these podcasts, you can do that yourself, too, by going to patreon.com and signing up and saying what you would like to do on a regular basis to help someone to tell it to continue these podcasts, to help them grow, and to reach more and more people around the world. I think one of the things we've always valued about you the most, every time we've been together or we've spoken to you, you've always been able to kind of strike this nice balance to us, which is probably a lot how all of us should be operating in a lot of ways is, is both talking and discussing and describing the more painful realities of life, but then on in the same breath also being able to, to laugh and to make light of situations so that they don't get the best of us. I was just going to say, we've also been impressed by the fact that you do put yourself out there. You are very vulnerable and very open, and you're doing it because you, if you can help somebody else. You've always said that, that you're willing to, you're willing to you know, just say what's going on and, and how you're feeling in, in the hopes that you can. It, it's, it's like redeeming what you've been going through and using it for the good so that other people might be able to find their hope and their their help their help through your experiences and you know that's just really admirable you know it's like people say oh my gosh Chrissy, you're so strong you're this you're that and i don't think of it that way i think of it as i have to do this i have no choice so to be strong yeah okay but i feel just really i don't know it's weird because when i sit down to write i like to write and I can get my thoughts out better in writing. So that's why I started the page, too, because I could write and write and write. And uh, it, it just helps me to see it on paper or computer, whatever. And uh, I can read it back. And I look at it and think, well, maybe they are right. Maybe I'm stronger than I think I am. And I, I found that to be true. Um, because I started a new treatment in this past December where it was, it's radiation now. They're going, they're blasting me now. And my daughter went with me for the first one, and then she deployed. So my lifeline in that respect left me. And I took someone with me for the one in January. It was every eight weeks I get this, this zap of radiation. It's like back to the future, futuristic. It's just really crazy. <clears throat> I posted pictures on my uh, page, too, of that, too. You, you know, the whole box with the radiation sign on it and their suits and their everything. And it really is quite, quite amazing. I didn't know if I would or would not. So coming into this in December, all my kids were home at Thanksgiving. And I said, you know what? I want you to shave my head. And they looked at me like, yeah, all right, Mom. I said, no, I'm serious. They said, Why? And I said, because if I'm going to go through radiation, I don't know what it's going to do to me. And I just assume you shave it off now and get it done. And I'll tell you what, that is one of the best things I have ever done. And as, as weird as that sounds, when I look at myself in the mirror with no hair, it's like, daggone it. I, I, I'm doing this. I'm actually, I'm getting through this. And this was one of my ways of reminding myself that I have something in there, but I'm going to get past this. And 
I was walking around the house today just with nothing on my head, no hat, no beanie, and thinking, this is pretty cool. You know, I mean, I did. I, I And I shave it now, and I keep it that way. And so when I go out somewhere, um, I put on... My grandson goes, Nana, are you going to put your hair on today? And I said, yes. I, I, so I do. I, I have a wig, and I put it on, and I feel great. And, um, yeah, it, it's as weird as it sounds. So that's, it's basically your way of flip, flipping the yeah. bird to cancer. Yeah, it's like, you know what? Screw you because you're not getting the best of me. And, uh, yeah, now, now the strong part came in when this coronavirus thing um, hit and I had an appointment in March and nobody could go with me because they were not letting any visitors in the hospital. So I had to go through the whole day. It's a, it's a long day. It starts at seven in the morning and I go out at five and through that day I had to go it alone. And I, but I wasn't scared and I wasn't upset because I knew the virus was serious and I knew what was going to happen because I already had one in December and January. So I knew what was to take place. So it didn't bother me. Actually, I was quite bored. And I slept through most of the day. And I slept through the whole actual giving of the radiation. I do. I just fall asleep. And they just get, you know, and that's kind of it. The worst part about going in for those things is getting my IVs. I cannot stand getting IVs. And I have to have two of them, one in each arm. One for giving me anti-nausea medicine, amino acids, uh, whatever else they need to pump through there. And then the other one is a bigger one. <laughs> oh, goody. And that's the one where they give me the actual radiation stuff. And uh, once they're in, my day is just, is it my day? I mean, it's just kind of actually boring. Uh, but I did it myself. And I was really proud of myself. And when I got home, my blog for that day was, I guess I'm stronger than I think I am. Well, I know somebody else on this call who also doesn't like getting needles or his blood pressure taken. Yeah. Krista, uh, as you were talking about that, I, I <laughs> walk around just hearing about uh -huh. it. It's, it's yeah. makes me nervous. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Yeah. In, the, in the spirit you're of welcome, vulnerability. Man. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, oh, you're welcome. Anything to help. No, I, 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 um, they said to me, okay, we're going to get your IVs started. I went, IVs as in how many? She was one in each arm. I thought, what? So I get a small one. I'm thinking, you know, the normal size, the quote unquote normal size IV on my left arm. And they just now this one's going to be a little bit bigger. And I went, <laughs> sure, all right, do whatever. So after I stopped crying and she put them in, I was fine. I do. I cry when they put them in because I cannot stand it. It gives me the willies, and I can't stand them wiggling and jicking that little tube around in my vein. But once they're in, I'm fine. I I totally and, uh, understand all of that. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> uh -huh. it, may, it makes no sense to me at all. Yeah. Yeah, it, 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 it creeps yeah. me out. I cannot stand getting that IV. Isn't it nice uh -huh. to somebody? Isn't it somebody who's supposed to be empathetic who's not right now? See, yeah. <laughs> uh huh. Well, it, it's uh, I uh, I have one more to go, one more treatment to go, uh, and it's in May, and it's of all days. It's on my grandson's birthday. Like really, 
and I can't see him for days afterwards because I'm still radioactive. Um, my <laughs> the joke when the first one was, "Are you gonna like glow if we put a black light on you or something?" <laughs> and I, I looked at my kids and I went, "Really?" And I said, "Well, I don't know. I don't know what to expect." So when my daughter went with you me, you definitely to the need first to take a picture of that. Well, she did. She took a picture of me sitting on the bed, and she did a, an effect on her phone that made it look blue, <laughs> and it looked like I was radiating. And I went, oh, that's cool. That's on my page, too. So I'm like, I'm, I'm radiating, you know. But the, actually, the, um, the, the nuclear scientist doctor guy, who is very serious and doesn't have a sense of humor, sorry, but they don't. Oh, my golly. He comes in, and he measures the the amount of radiation that's going in and then they measure me with a geiger counter literally um <laughs> after it's over and but most of it has gone out of me until i leave that day but i'm still radioactive for a few days later wow yeah. i think one of the things that we've just loved about you the most maybe perhaps is just your sense of humor I mean, you've always, as I mentioned earlier, been able to strike this this balance, as we think we do, too, with our own challenges in life. And I know I've heard this phrase that she who laughs lasts. And I think you're lasting because you laugh. And uh, I had referenced earlier about in one of your posts about Legos, and I was wondering if maybe you could tell our listeners a little bit about about your uh my Your obsession with Legos. My, no, it's my yeah. obsession with Legos. I wasn't going to um, use the obsession, but now that you did. <laughs> but that, that's what it is. I, when I was told about getting these shots in starting in June, last June, like I said, I felt hypodermic needle. I panicked. I needed something to take my mind off what was coming up. So for whatever reason, don't ask me why, I found my kids' Legos. It's a 35-gallon bucket of them when they were little, and I got them out, and I thought, oh, this is fun, and then I thought, oh, I remember this piece, this goes with their fire, oh, oh and this piece, you know, so I got all excited, and I went online, and I actually found the plans for all those things that they built when they were younger, and I rebuilt them from the plans that you could get online, just like they were when we first bought them, and, well, needless to say, I used pretty much all those <coughs> Legos, and then started looking for more and like more and more and well <laughs> so obsessed yeah i would say that um but my but it kept me kept my mind thinking what am i going to make now what am i going to do now how can i put this here how can i this or that so i didn't think about the oh my gosh that tumor's in there um so it kept my mind you know busy um and my favorite one, and uh, I have posted it on there too. My favorite Lego thing I designed and created myself is the Willy Wonka Chocolate Factory. And yeah, you told us about this amazing. Yeah, so I that was a fun one, and that was all from just in my head, just doing whatever it is with that with the pieces I had. And now my grandson and I are obsessed too with the Jurassic Park Lego. So it's just going from one generation to the next. And my daughter thanks me. <laughs> not. But, uh, I mean, what per, what per, what human being has not dreamt about going through Willy Wonka's chocolate factory? Oh, yeah, I know, and yeah, but I have to tell you though, a couple weeks back, and this is on the on the, the blog too. I 
was chilling in my lazy boy because these these treatments tire me out. It, it, I mean, they really take a lot out of you, even though I'm literally laying there all day. But the fatigue and the that I get so tired, and I was sitting in my lazy boy, and that's a bad thing because when I have idle time, then I start thinking, and it's that's not a good thing because my thoughts go right to my treatments, and I. I got out of the chair, and I ran, not ran, I can't run, but I walked to the kitchen, and my kids were home, and I said, oh my gosh, I have cancer, and they looked at me like this, with this stupid face, like, what, and I said, I've got cancer, it's in me, it's, it's there, and they said, yeah, okay, mom, you all right, I'm like, no, and it, it just hit me like a ton of bricks. And so then I had my cry, and they all hugged me, and then I went on. But that, it was that, like, aha, holy crap moment where, yeah, I really got it. It's there. I didn't have time to think the first time because it was, like, Friday, Tuesday they were out. This is, you know, over time now, and I was just, it just struck me like lightning, and I panicked. And, uh yeah, that was a big moment right there. That makes sense to us because we, we've we spoken to a lot of cancer support groups. And I remember a few years ago, we spoke multiple years in a row to a, a men's cancer support group. And I remember having been there a couple of years in a row, seeing some of the same faces in this group. And then also not. Some of the, the men had, had not survived. And asking that group, you know, what, what's, what, what's most frightening at this, this point in time. And I remember many of the men describing the fear of their cancer returning because, uh, you know, you, you beat it once and you've extended all this energy and in, into this, and now you, it returns and you just, you're, you're not sure you can fight and live another day. And, um, and so they would talk about like anytime they stub their toe, they're thinking, oh, I got toe cancer, you know, uh, just, you know, all these, these normal everyday uh, aches and pains that we all suffer with. And, and they're thinking worst case scenario kinds of things. So I think what you're describing is, is accurate probably for a lot of folks in, in similar situations. And that's why, again, the Legos helped me to get, get in my own zone and I forget about it. And, and writing about it, too, helps me because it's almost like I'm not writing it for me. I'm writing it from somebody else's. Like I, It's like an out-of-body experience. It's like I'm writing about somebody, but it's not me. And I can just tell it, post it, and then people read it and go, oh, my gosh. you know. And, and I've been told that the more positive you are, the better chances you are have of beating it and my my best friend told me that her dad had cancer and when he finally gave up and didn't fight anymore that's when he passed away and I thought I'll be darned that's not going to happen to me so whenever I get the oh woe is me thing oh poor pity me it's like Krista stop it get your cry out get it get it over with and then move on because you're not going to let it beat you you're going to do all you can to keep going. You have too much to live for. And I have to tell myself that almost daily. 
Michael and I are in the midst of rereading a book that we've referenced, I think, before on this podcast called The Book of Joy. And it's an extensive interview with Bishop Desmond Tutu and the Dalai Lama, who had spent an entire week together talking about the topic of joy. But I remember in one of the chapters, they were using an example of some Holocaust survivors and comparing those to who, who didn't survive. And they had used the example of some children who had been kind of handed everything in life up to that point and how they, they just didn't know how to react in these, these uh, prison, in, in these concentration camps because they, they just didn't know how to overcome these obstacles. They just didn't have the mental capacity as opposed to these other groups of folks who, as you mentioned, did what they had to do to survive. And so, yeah, I, I think th- this is such a good reminder yeah, for all the, of us. The hard thing right now is with this virus out there, I love hugging my kids, and I can't. Because we they go out, I can't go out, because first of all, I'm over 60, and I have, I get the treatments, my immune system is vulnerable right now, so... When I say I got dressed today, that's a big deal because truly, you know, truly it is because I'm housebound and, you know, cabin fever. Oh, my gosh. And, you know, so I don't go anywhere and it drives me nuts. So my son and his girlfriend do my running around for me to go to the store, you know, whatever I need. But I can't hug them because they've been out. And I just I can't. So we do the virtual hug, you know, we hug ourselves and then look at each other and I love you, mom. I love you, you know, blah, blah, blah. And so it helps, but it's just not the same. And uh, I'll be glad when this whole thing blows over, but I miss that. I miss that closeness with my kids. For our listeners there, she, uh, Krista was referencing prior to us pressing record, she had said that her biggest accomplishment today was getting dressed. So that's what she was making light of. So so, uh, so you have a little context there. We're going to spend a little bit of time changing the subject a little, but it, it's an offshoot of it. And, and just to talk briefly, first of all, I just want to say that you're obviously a creative person. Creativity is very, is, is one of your gifts. And, and there's an artistic, there's an artistic aspect to you that, that we love. And the, the Legos is part of that, you know, wanting to design your own, your own things and, 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 and build and, and see a creation like that. But there are two other things that are very artistic about you very creative. One you've been alluding to, and that has been writing, how writing has helped you and, and create creative. And, you know, you talk about your blog, but uh, you've also written a book and that, that that's been something you had always wanted to do, never had the opportunity or the time, but you did it. And we were really proud of you for that. And, you know, and, and then there's something else that you've always wanted and several years ago you started doing it and would you like to just share that because that that's the, doing these things is another reason why you why you're you're doing you're surviving and yeah exactly and and because they're giving you joy 
as we're talking about right now. So what, what besides writing, and if you want to share a little bit about the book that you wrote, please do, but what's, but also about the other creative thing, that you, artistic thing that you do that uh, is really well, life-giving to you. Um, bucket list wise, I had 10 things on my bucket list and I've accomplished a few. Writing a book was one of them. Um, there were a couple more things. Oh, going to see Aerosmith in concert and meeting Steven Tyler. Well, I saw the concert, but I didn't meet Steven Tyler. Um, and another one, <laughs> yeah, well, hey, hey, I could try and dream, right? So, um, the, but another one was being in a band, a band, to actually be able to sing in, in a band. And I grew up from the age of, I can't even remember, singing. My dad was a musician. My mom was a, a singer. So I just... It, it came easy to me <clears throat> and I how about being in a band with Steven Tyler that would no that would be no I couldn't stand it all the time because some of his stuff is gross but I would love to just sing a song with him that'd be a lot of fun um so the year my grant what, what's the song you'd want to, what, what's the song of, of theirs you'd want to sing oh uh dream on mm. classic but I'll let him do the screaming part yeah <laughs> okay Great. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, when was this? Of, oh, 14, 2014. I put an ad on Craigslist. Yeah, I put myself out there again and uh, advertised myself as a singer. And somebody contacted me. And um, I met them for the first time and sang a few songs. And they went, you're in. And I'm like, huh? And it was like, holy cow, for real. You know, I'm looking at him going, really? You, you really going, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so that was, I had a chance to be in a band, and I've been singing in a couple different bands since 2014. And uh, two years ago, I put together my own band. Uh, and now we can't play because there's no place open. But, um, but because of my treatments, the doctor has forbidden me to even play in any places that are smoky, so I can't even do that now. But um, but I'm still singing. But I have not sung since uh, New Year's Eve. That was the last time I actually sang. Sang. Um, but it's always there. I'm I'm singing all the time at home, and that's how my kids know when I'm doing well. It's when I'm singing. It's when I stop that they know something's wrong. Well, Tom and I want to just say that Krista has an absolutely angelic voice. It is beautiful. It is beautiful. And we've heard her sing many times. And uh, every time we're moved uh, by In fact, we've by her in one of those smoky by, bars to hear by you the, sing. the beauty of it. <laughs> and, yeah, you did. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's, there was a time that uh, you sang for us and um, well uh, we want to know if you'd be willing to do that today well maybe now just <laughs> twist my <laughs> arm and ask me again you know and what did we ask well, you to sing because of certain circumstances that had taken place in my life prior to the cancer and growing up and whatnot um uh, the song Listen by Beyonce really spoke to me because she 
was told all the, you know, like, that she couldn't do anything. She couldn't do it. She wasn't allowed to do it. And then all of a sudden she thought, hey, I can do it. And actually, that song applies to me now, I guess. I didn't even think of that till now um, because it does. It's, it's, I finally found my own, whether it be singing or battling cancer or whatever. I, I found it, and I can sing it with the feeling of I can do whatever I need to do. And so that's kind of the way I'm living day to day. And my life is day to day because that's all that I have. You know, everybody has that. We None of us are guaranteed tomorrow. So um, I just wake up every morning and put my feet on the floor and thank God that I'm still here. Look at my scar on my stomach going down my abdomen going, I'm still here. So who can I annoy today? No, I'm just kidding. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, you know. Yeah. So that's um, another that's another one of your joys, right? Yeah, Who can you annoy? <laughs> yeah, really. There's got to be some some name on that bucket list of somebody you gotta. <laughs> yeah. Well, one starts with a T and one starts with an M, but we won't go there. So, um, no, I'm just. <laughs> no, I love oh, you guys. Oh, You're oh, awesome. Not that, right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you guys have been uh, wonderful for me, to me, and with me, and to allow me to sing for your events for the times that I did was really, really awesome. I mean, it, it's it was just like, okay, I was the dinner music, and, and I loved it, and it was quiet, and it was loungy kind of, you know, creamy kind of music, and I love that stuff. But then I jump in later with listen, and that's a totally different uh, genre, and it it's it's a powerful song. It really is. <clears throat> well, if you'd be willing, we we would love for you to end today's episode using that beautiful voice. Somebody told me once, your voice sounds like butter, and I'm like, huh? And they said it's smooth, and I went, I never thought of it that way. And then some a minister. Sorry, guys. A minister once told me, he goes, your voice sounds like my blah, 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 whatever car it was. And I said, I sound like a car? And he goes, no, it's it's the the smooth of the motor, the that little hum, that certain thing about the car that's just so beautiful in what it does. It's like, oh, so I've been referred to as sounding like butter in a car. So, <laughs> hey, you know. I, I take what I can get, you know, that, that's just the way it is. Yes, we take our compliments. <laughs> do you know what one of the cultural, do you know what one of the cultural references is there about, it sounds like butter, no. is from? Uh, Saturday Night Live, <laughs> uh, back, in the, back in the 90s, um, Mike Myers, if you know who, yes. who he is. He, he, yeah, yeah. Only he wasn't playing Shrek at the time. He was playing. He was uh, uh, playing a woman named Linda Richmond, and uh, he would dress up as this this the, the, this woman with a very heavy New York accent. And this woman was obsessed was obsessed with Barbara Streisand. And he would always talk about her on on you know in in on the sketches that they were doing, and he would always say she's like butter. She sounds like. Butter. like you yeah, gotta butter. say it like butter. Butter. Like butter. Yeah, yeah. butter. Yeah. Exactly. Butter. And so uh -huh. you're being 
you're, you're being compared to Streisand. So, you know, that's not fair either. She would be awesome to sing with. Oh, my gosh. I, I, I was just like, oh, one of my other things on my bucket list is to sing at the Grand Ole Opry. Now, I don't care if the place is filled. I don't care if it's empty. I don't care what I'm singing, even if it's Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. But I want to stand up on that stage and say, I did it. So that's, that is doable. And I'm hoping someday I can, I can do that. So that's another one. So <clears throat> the longer you stay on this call with us, the longer that list is growing, which we, we love. That's right. <laughs> no, that's originally on the list. I can't. <laughs> um, yeah. So, well, <clears throat> let's see, bring it up on the computer here and uh, I'll sing it for you. I'll do my best. <clears throat> Thank you for having me on here today. It's been been awesome. It's been our joy. This yeah. has been fun. It's really been fun. We knew it would be. Here we go. <clears throat> to the song here in my heart. Melody I start, I can't complete. Listen to the sound from deep within. It's only beginning to find release. All oh, the time has come for my dreams to be heard. They will not be pushed aside and turned into your own, all cause you won't listen. Listen, I am alone at a crossroads. I'm not at home in my own home. And I've tried and tried to say what's on my mind. You should have known. Now I'm done believing you. You don't know what I'm feeling. I'm more than what you made of me. I followed the voice you gave to me. Now I gotta find my own. You should have listened. Someone here inside. Someone I thought had died so long ago. Oh, I'm reaching out and my dreams will be heard. They will not be pushed aside and turned into your own. All because you won't listen. Listen, I am alone at a crossroads. At home in my own home, and I've tried and tried to say what's on my mind. You should have known. Now I'm done believing you. You don't know what I'm feeling. I'm more than what you made of me. I followed the voice.
There you go. <laughs> that was butter. Wow. That was butter. <laughs> butter. And as Mike Myers would say, like this. <laughs> as, as Mike Myers would say, I'm all for cat. <laughs> <laughs> Thank oh you. <clears throat> what? That was beautiful. You're welcome. Absolutely beautiful. Thanks. We're so grateful that all of you could join with us today on this podcast. It was a special one for us. Krista is just a good friend, and you know we've known her for all these years, and we've heard so much of her story, and so much of it's been tough, really tough. But she has persevered, and as she said, she's always done what she's had to do, and we're really proud of her for that. So uh, she was scared to be able to do this today. Uh, it's the first time she's ever been on a podcast, but we think she did wonderfully. And the way she ended with that song is extra, extra special. So as we close, we just want to read something that we wrote about Krista in our first book, Someone to Tell It To, Sharing Life's Journey. We wrote this, and uh, we think it relates very strongly, certainly does, to what she had to say today. Some days, I took all three kids to my parents, two blocks away. I simply needed alone time. It was on those days when I was absolutely at my wit's end. I'm grateful my parents were there. Oh, and I was so thankful too for the social security the children received. Without that help, I don't know what we would have done. The depression at times was overwhelming. I toughed it out. I knew those periods would end, but wow, were they hard, dark, lonely. I did what I had to do. Krista certainly did. And isn't that something that we all, we all do. When we're up against tough times, we just do what we have to do. And that's what gets us through in so many ways. So as we go today, we want to thank a special and new donor to someone to tell it to, Jennifer Yip, who lives in Singapore. She is our, uh, the donor who lives the furthest away from us here in Pennsylvania. And so we're really proud of that. We're proud of her and grateful for her. We want to acknowledge her, her generous gift. And in fact, what's going to happen uh, on our next podcast that we air, we're going to have a question from Jennifer because that's one of the perks of donating is uh, through Patreon. Please go online and do that if you can. We would love that uh, so much. It helps to make these podcasts possible. And if you do, we're willing to answer a question of yours on on a podcast so that, uh, you know, in addition, we're acknowledging and, and hearing from, from our listeners about the things that are most important to them. So we encourage you to do that, too, and look out for Jennifer's question next time. So, again, we thank you. We hope to hear from you soon, and until we listen again.